If you would, please open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. If you have a red Bible, it's on page 973 of the red Bible. Um, I know some of you are here today, you're on vacation. Many of the, the regular tenders here are, are on vacation, and it's a great weekend to, to do that, get away, be with family, enjoy God's creation. I was reminded as I was preparing this sermon um, of a vacation I took with my family. We went to Europe, uh, not Europe, Wisconsin, Europe, the continent, and we sort of traveled the, the continent and went to different countries and things like that. And we rented a car and just scooted around. And I remember one time, it was my mom, my dad, me, and two of my five siblings. And we were driving in this car, and we were driving on kind of the side of a cliff, uh, side of a mountain that sort of went out and came back. It was a peninsula, a little peninsula. And the road was actually kind of drilled into the side of the mountain. And as we were driving, we came to this fork in the road, and my dad asked us, do you guys want to, uh, to continue on the outside so we can look at the ocean, or do you want to cut across the peninsula? And we said, well, you know, how, how long would it take? Uh, what's the difference in time? And he says, well, it's six one way, half a dozen the other, which means it's the same distance. Now, uh, if you understand peninsulas, uh, a peninsula is like this. I think everyone knows what a peninsula is, right? This is my rough sketch of a peninsula. Going across is always shorter than going around. Always, right? And so it's kind of foolish for us to think, oh, we can go around and, you know, it's the same distance. And he said, well, it'll probably be about an hour either way. Well, three hours later, we were sick. We were tired. We were, uh, it, was, it was horrible. And, uh, and for some reason, we took the wrong path. Today, we're going to look at, Paul is, is calling out to the Galatians, and he's saying, you have taken the wrong path. There are two paths that are available to you, and you have taken the wrong one. And he actually calls them foolish for doing it, and he commands them and all of us to take the other path. And so that's what we're going to look at today. The book of Galatians uh, talks about how these teachers have come, in, come into the church in the region of Galatia, and they have led these people astray to this other path. They have deceived the people. They have bewitched them. And Paul is countering that today. And that's what we're going to read. So let's read Galatians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. It's on page 973 in the Red Bible. Let's read. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed by be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather 
The one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's pray. Lord God, as we open up your word and we investigate what these words say, what you are speaking to the Galatians, but also to us, God, we pray that through your Holy Spirit, we would understand its application to our life. We would understand the gloriousness and the shame of the cross, God, and that we would leave here as people that are more in love with you and more changed by the cross of Jesus Christ. We pray this all in your name. Amen. So Paul, Paul opens this chapter calling them fools. You foolish, foolish people. And the reason he does it is because they had started out on one path, a path of faith. And they had switched in mid-journey to a path of law. What that means is that they had trusted in Christ, but they thought, you know what, I need this safety net to really make sure that I'm okay with God. And so these religious leaders come in, and they start adding all these rules and saying, excuse me, they, they keep saying, you have to do this and that. You have to do these ceremonial laws in order to really be saved, to really be spiritual with God. And so they said, you have to be circumcised. You have to obey these festivals. You have to celebrate these traditions in order for God to truly love you. And so faith in Jesus is good, but you also need these things. And they supplement with all these additions. You know, this actually happens today as well. Um, typically it's by making a good thing into a saving thing. Let me give you an example. I've heard from at least two friends of uh, grandparents that have babysat their children and they kidnap them while the parents are away at dinner and they'll take them to their church to get them baptized. And so they'll set this up with the pastor. They'll say, I'm babysitting my grandkids this day, this time. Could you show up at the church and I'll bring them over and we'll baptize them real quick and we'll save them. And Paul is, is opposing such a foolish belief. He's saying it is by faith alone. It is not by works that you are saved. There are many legalistic churches that also add to the scriptures. They add rules to the Bible about how you're to dress, what you should believe about alcohol, um, things of that nature. And while there are principles in scripture that speak to those things, they make it a, a, a gauge of your spirituality, a gauge of your acceptance before God. But we, too, I think, are guilty of walking by the path of the law sometimes instead of walking by faith. Let me give you a few examples. When someone asks you, what is a Christian? How would you answer that? Would you answer it by saying a Christian is someone who goes to church, someone who reads the Bible, someone who prays? Or would you say a Christian is a person that has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you see the differences? One is everything I do, and the other is what Christ has done for me. I think a lot of people get burned out on church because they can't keep up with the Joneses. They can't keep up with the people next to them as all these rules come about, and they're like, I just can't do it. And so they get uh, disenfranchised with God because there's all these extra rules that, that come up. Another example of how maybe we walk by the law instead of by faith is... Um, if we're battling with a sin, if we're struggling with a sin and we fall and we do something that we regret 
if it destroys us, if we are just completely knocked out because our, our, our record has been lost, because we once again messed up, then it means that we're looking to ourselves, we're looking to our own record, our own merit, and we're not living by faith. If you're a person that doesn't repent, if you don't repent to your spouse, if you don't repent to your, to your family, to your friends, saying, I'm sorry for what I have done, it might be because you actually walk by this path of the law, because you cannot let anyone see that you have sin in your life. And so you're not walking by faith, you're walking by your own good works, walking by, by trying to earn their favor through the law of God. And so these are the paths that Paul is talking about today. And what we're going to look at, Paul says, Paul calls us to walk by the path of faith and not by the path of the law, the path of good works. And what he does is he walks through this, and we're going to walk through this passage today, and there's, there's some confusing language in here, and so we're just going to go straight through it. But he kind of lays out, and he confirms that we should walk by the path of faith. And he confirms it by experience, he validates it by the Scripture, and he establishes it at the cross. And those are the things that we're going to look at. So let's first look at how he confirmed it by experience. And we're going to look at the first five verses, and we're just going to sort of walk through this together. Again, he starts this by saying, you foolish people. <laughs> and in another part, he kind of calls them dimwits. Do you have no knowledge? What are you doing? What are you thinking? And then he goes on to ask these five rhetorical questions. And when you ask a rhetorical question, you usually ask it because the answer is pretty obvious, right? And so he goes on to ask these rhetorical questions of them to prove that they started by faith and that they should finish by faith. So look at verse one. He says, who has bewitched you or who has charmed you away from your original path it was before your eyes that jesus christ was publicly portrayed and crucified they clearly heard about jesus's crucifixion paul had painted the picture that's what it means here when it says it was publicly portrayed paul made it clear about christ's crucifixion about their sin about their inability to earn god's love that it was completely by faith that they would be Saved. The word crucified here in the Greek, it's in a perfect tense. And while that may not mean a whole lot today, what Paul was trying to challenge the people with was saying that this is accomplished, this is finished. A perfect tense means it is completely done. And he's saying it is completely done. Christ's sacrifice on the cross is enough. You no longer have to obey these men. You no longer have to switch paths, right? I know a lot of Christians who they say, yeah, I am saved by grace. I am saved by faith. But now I have to work really hard to make God pleased with me. But Paul's saying this is oppositional to the gospel. This can't be true. They had switched from the path of faith to the path of law. And when you do that, you actually discredit the cross of Jesus Christ, saying that it is not enough. Verse 2, he goes on with another question. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul's asking if in their experience, when they first came to know Christ, when they trusted in him, when they were born again, when they received the Holy Spirit, was that because they had done something good or was it because they had believed, because they had had faith? And the answer is probably obvious to the Galatians. Because you see, the Galatians for their whole life had been trying to earn God's favor earn God's love. And it had never worked time and time and time again. And yet when they believed in a nanosecond, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so they would have known that they received the Spirit by faith. And Paul is encouraging them to continue in faith. 
He goes on, verse 3, another question. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The religious men, the Judaizers came in. They say, yeah, faith in Christ is good, but it must be supplemented with Mosaic ritualism. It must be added to if you really want to be spiritual. You must add these additional rules in order for God to love you. And what the Galatians failed to understand, that a Christ supplemented is a Christ supplanted. In other words, if you say, yes, I need Jesus, but I also need to follow this list of rules for God to love me, for God to accept me, for God to care for me, then really there's no need for Christ at all. Because it's either holy Christ or it's without Christ. Are you completely dependent on Jesus Christ for your salvation? Or is there part of you that still needs you to merit something with God? Goes on, verse 4. Did you suffer? A better translation would probably be experience. Okay? Did you experience so many things in vain? And if indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing and by faith? And so Paul's asking this rhetorical question again. You have seen the miraculous signs of God around you. You have seen people be healed. You have seen people prophesy, people speak in tongues. You have probably even experienced the salvation of Christ yourself. And if you have experienced that greatest miracle and all those miracles, is it because you did something good? Is it because you followed a certain law? Or is it because of your faith in Christ? And he's reminding them and reassuring them that it's because of their faith in Jesus Christ that all these miraculous works happen. And he's saying, why would you, why would you get off of that path? And go to this path of works to try to please God. Why would you not take the path of faith? Let me give you an example. In life, we, we walk through life and we learn from our experiences, right? And this is what Paul's talking about. He said, look back at your experiences. See that it has always been by faith. My son, Corbin, Caleb, and Chris, my daughter, Chris, and I, we like to go to the swimming pool a lot at the Eastside YMCA. It has an awesome kids pool. It has an awesome little slide that's perfect for those kids. And I remember the first time I took Caleb to that slide. I, I took him up the stairs. He was really excited to go. But then as we got to the top of the slide, you could see him start to, to tear up, to put out that bottom lip and be like, man, this is really scary. And I said, Caleb, it's okay. Daddy has you. You know, you'll be all right. I promise. All right. So we start down the slide. He's on my lap and I can see his face and he, he, he's not happy, right? He's not, he, he's too scared to cry, <laughs> And so we're going down the slide, and we get to the bottom, and we get in the water, and we lift, I lift him up, and I look at him, and uh, I said, do you want to go again? And he's like, yeah, I want to go again. And so he had experienced that I would take care of him. And so we went back up, and the fear subsided over time. Even now, when we go, he has no fear at all because his, he knows his dad will take care of him, even though Caleb can't swim. And so he has faith that his dad will take care of him. Now, if Caleb decided, okay, Dad, I'm going to go with you, but I want a life jacket on, I want a noodle, I want a snorkel, just in case you drop me, I'd be offended. I'd be offended. I would say, Caleb, how many times have I taken care of you? And I would remind him of those times that we've gone down that slide. Now, that's a silly example, but if you're here today and you have placed your trust in Christ, but then you have gone back to these rules and you have made up all these checklists to earn God's approval, 
what you're doing is you're putting on flotation devices. You're grabbing noodles, putting on snorkels, saying, I trust you, God, but I need a safety net. And God says, it is by faith alone. You must walk by the path of faith. Remember the experience of your salvation. Remember the joy of your salvation. Remember your first love and walk by faith. If the law of God, if if the law of God in the Old Testament is a burden to you, it's probably because you're not walking by faith. I know for me, even this week, I was just so angry at God, kind of like, Lord, why do I have to be a good person? Why do I have to do this and do that that you command me to do? I'd really rather just go do whatever I want. And it's because I was living by the law. I wasn't living by faith. And I had to repent and say, Lord, forgive me. I know that I'm not delighting in you. I know I'm not walking by faith because your law has become a burden to me. Forgive me, Lord. And so we see that God's path of faith is confirmed by our experience in our salvation. It's also confirmed by, whoops, excuse me. It's also confirmed by, it's validated by the scriptures. Paul turns to the Old Testament scriptures to start proving that righteousness and justification comes by faith alone. Now, this is a brilliant move for Paul because the Judaizers that had probably come into the Galatian church, they had probably actually used the Old Testament. And like all false teachers do, they take the scriptures and they twist them. And they say, look, you have to do all these things that Moses did, all these things that Abraham did in order for God to be pleased with you. There's a common misconception in today's Christian church that in the Old Testament, people were saved by their good works. People were saved by obeying the law. But in the New Testament, we're saved by faith. We're saved by grace. We're saved by Christ. And what Paul tells us right here is that it's not true. That you are always saved by faith in a Savior, in a Redeemer, in Christ. And the path of faith brings blessings. Look with me in verse 6. He says, Just as Abraham, who's in the Old Testament before Christ, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So in Genesis 15, Abraham is 75 years old and he has no kids. His wife is barren and he has no successor to his line. And he's there praying to God and God points to the stars. and He says, look at all the stars, look at them. He said, can you count those stars? And Abraham's like, no, I can't. And he said, I will make your descendants like the stars. I will give you that many descendants. And then Abraham believed that promise. And it was credited to him as righteousness. And so you see this pattern in Scripture of God promising things to you. Right? God promised to Abraham. Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. And so it was by faith that Abraham was deemed righteous, not because he was a good person, not because he was the right nationality, but by faith, completely by faith. Verse 8, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Because Abraham was blessed by faith, because of his faith, not because of his nationality, not because of his goodness, it means that all the people everywhere who believe, no matter what your nationality is, can be saved through faith. And it says when you, are, when you put your faith in God and the promises of God, God will bless you. And those blessings come 
in two ways. Actually, more than this, but this is what he highlights in this passage. One is that God justifies you. If you are ha- here last week, you probably remember us talking about this big term, justification. And what it is, is that God declares you as righteous. God views you as if you have never sinned, and he accepts you. But the other part is that he gives you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to all who trust in Christ, all who believe, all who have faith in Christ. And so these are the blessings that God gives to us. And what Paul goes on to say even further, which, is, which would have been really radical, is he said, the sons of Abraham, the one, you remember God had promised to Abraham, you see the stars, you'll have that many sons. He says, the true sons of Abraham are not the Jewish nation. So the true sons of Abraham are those who walk by faith. Those who believe. This would have ticked off the religious leaders that came into the Galatian church. He said, it's those of faith, whether they're Gentiles or Jews, whether they're circumcised or uncircumcised. Those are the children of Abraham. Romans 4.11 restates this. Paul talks about this a lot. He says, he, being Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believed without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. A quick question of of just application here. Do you believe in a God that loves your nation more than any other nation? Do you believe that we have a God who shows favoritism to nations? Because while it is good and it is right to have pride to be an American and to celebrate that, to believe that God loves us more because we were born American is offensive to God. It's offensive to God. Because God doesn't prefer people that are Americans. God doesn't prefer people that are Jews. God prefers people that have faith. And the scriptures validate that. And so as we go this weekend and we celebrate being American— and what the troops have done for us and the people that have laid down our life for us. That is not why God is pleased with you. God is pleased with you because of your faith. The path of law also brings, the, the, path, the scriptures also show that the path of the law brings a curse. Verse 10 through 12, it says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Here Paul's quoting uh, Moses from Deuteronomy chapter 27. And in this book, what's happening is that uh, uh, Moses is re-giving the law to the second group of people that are going to take Israel. And what he does is he tells them the law. He tells them the covenant stipulations. And then he pronounces the curses for those who break the law and the blessings for those who keep them. And at the end of his list of curses is this verse right here where he says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by the things written in this book of the law. Now here's the problem. Every man is cursed. No man keeps the law of God perfectly, keeps all the commands of God. We have all failed. And God brings his divine vengeance, his curse upon those of us, which is all of us, that do not keep his law perfectly. One of the purposes of the law of God. The law is beautiful and wonderful, and it's right for instructing us and guiding us. 
But one of the purposes of the law is to show us our sin, to show us that we are under a curse, that we have not obeyed God perfectly, and that we do need a Savior. Verse 11 goes on. It says, Now it is evident, just as we talked about, that no one is justified before God by the law. The righteous shall live by faith. Now, Paul is actually quoting God here. See, Paul goes into the Old Testament. He starts quoting the Old Testament because this is what the false teachers are using to lead people astray. He said, I'm going to show you the truth of the Old Testament. And he says that um, what God requires of man that he might gain true life is faith, not good works. Verse 12, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. And so what he's saying is that obedience to the law is not faith in God. If you view your merit before God, if you view your acceptance before God as earning his favor, as obeying the law, really you don't have faith in God at all. But you have faith in yourself. And ultimately it's going to fail. And ultimately you will be under the curse of God. If you're here today and you have wondered, how could God ever love me? Because I am so messed up. I do so many things wrong. You are in the right place. (laughs) Those are the people that God loves. Those are the people who understand that it is only by faith that you could possibly be saved. Luther puts it this way. He says, the establishment of the law is the abolition of the gospel. The establishment of the law is abolition of the gospel. If that is how you are saved, then you have no need for Christ. Christ died for nothing. Some of you may have seen the movie National Treasure, And I might get it wrong a little bit, and so forgive me, I don't remember exactly. But in this movie, you have Nicolas Cage, and he is a treasure seeker. And he's had all these manuscripts that he takes out and he follows to see if he can find the treasure, treasure, and he fails again and again and again. And finally, he learns of this uh, map, I believe it is, on the back of the U.S. Constitution, or the Declaration of Independence, excuse me. And so he he, he gets it, and he looks at it, and he, he sees this new map, and he has all these manuscripts that he goes through that he finds that leads him to the treasure. And when he gets to this amazing treasure, it confirms, it validates all those manuscripts that he read, that it did indeed lead to a treasure. For us, it's kind of backwards as Christians. The manuscripts, in a way, do validate the treasure that we have in Christ, but more so what the, what the scriptures do, the scriptures validate the treasure that we already have in Christ, that are already ours, that it is by faith that we are saved, not by works. And Paul points back to the scriptures, back to the Old Testament to prove it. At Jacob's Well, if you've been here a few weeks, you may realize that we love the Bible here. We want to stick very close to the scriptures, very close to the word of God. I'm not going to come to you and present all my thoughts and all the things that I'm thinking through and tell you about all the people I'm mad at because the word of God is what we need for salvation. The word of God points us to a savior. It shows us that it is by faith. Ironically, the further away you get from the word of God, the more you try to earn earn the love of God. You see, many people see the Bible and they see just a rule book. That this just has a bunch of rules, a bunch of do's, a bunch of don'ts. But actually what it does is it shows us that we're called to be people of faith. That we can obey all the rules. And the rules that God does give to us are because he loves us, not because he wants to burden us. And so it's by faith that we see through the scriptures that God confirms that it's the path of faith that we must 
take. Finally, we see that the path of faith is established at the cross. What we read here in verse 13 might be one of the most astonishing verses in the whole Bible. If you take it at face value, it is quite ridiculous. All right? Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For as is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. All of us are under the curse of the law. There is no escape by our own works. And what God tells us here is that Jesus took the curse upon himself. You remember in Deuteronomy, it said, when Paul quoted it earlier, it said that if you don't obey this whole law, you're cursed. And here, Paul is telling us that Jesus Christ took our curse upon himself. So that not only are we no longer cursed by God, no longer do we have to experience his vengeance and his judgment, but it's even better. We also get to experience his blessings. And so he doesn't only take his wrath away from you, he gives you blessings. And you don't deserve this. Neither do I. It's only by the mercy of God that we get this. And the blessings that you get, part of it is highlighted here, is that you are, you are viewed as righteous and that you get the Holy Spirit inside of you. Excuse me. He, um, he goes on in some other passages. Excuse me. This is actually in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 53, 6, it talks about Jesus becoming a curse for us. It says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, being Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And so he has laid your sin, he has laid your law-breakingness on Christ that he might pay for it. 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, says, For our sake God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As you walk through this week, I want you to contemplate these two things. God made Jesus a curse. God made Jesus sin. Because you sin, and because you were cursed. Why? Because he loves you. Because he wants to bless you. As we celebrate Memorial Day, it's, it's good to remember those who have given their lives for us. Army Staff Sergeant Ian Newland spotted the enemy grenade inside the Humvee. Almost simultaneously, he saw Ross McGinnis, a 19-year-old boy, a gunner, lowered himself onto it. Newland says, I saw him jam it with his elbow up underneath him. He pressed his whole body with his back, armor plate, to smother it up against the radios. The heat and flash of an explosion followed, and McGinnis was killed. McGinnis had sacrificed himself to save four other soldiers in the Humvee. There's always talk in the army about being the hero, says Newland. In the military, everyone always tells their friends, I take a bullet for you. Newland says, I've read books and seen plenty of movies about it, but to actually live through a situation like that, have someone do that is just, there's nothing else more courageous that a person can do in their entire life. While we remember and we're so thankful for those who gave their lives in the military, 
there's only one man that gave his life that we can worship. There's only one man who could give his life to take our curse upon himself, to save us, to send his Holy Spirit, and that's Jesus Christ. Christ has died for you. As you go tomorrow and you, 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 know, you cook out hamburgers, you cook out bratwurst, whatever you do, remember the men who, and women who have died for you, but remember Christ, the ultimate sacrifice, the one who knew no sin, that became sin, that became a curse for you and died so that we can worship him, that we can be, have fellowship with God again. So the Galatians started on this new path of law instead of faith. And Paul says, it's a contradiction of the gospel for you to do it. And what Paul highlights is that the law says, do this. But the gospel says, Christ has done it all. The law makes demands and bids us to obey. But the gospel brings promises and bids us to believe. The law requires works of human achievement, but the gospel requires faith in Christ's achievement at the cross. Our experience and the scriptures and the cross testify that there's really only one path we can follow. It's the path of faith, the path that leads to the blessing of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you for the cross. We praise you for Christ who came and died for us that we might live, that the curse could be taken from us, removed from us, and placed upon him, that he could pay it at the cross. As the scriptures say here in Galatians, he redeemed it. He sacrificed himself, taking our sin and our guilt, God. And we praise you that we can now walk by faith because your Holy Spirit indwells us. In Christ's name, amen. Every week,